Old Testament lesson, Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Our gospel lesson is from the gospel of Luke. So hear now how God is speaking to you through these words of Luke's gospel. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eterea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And here ends the reading. And thanks be to God. Well, Advent is a time of waiting. A time of waiting. And if you are curious about what the John the Baptist is going to say, you're going to have to wait another week. We're not going to read the rest of that story uh, and hear John speak uh, until next Sunday. We've cut his story in half. We've turned it into a mini-advent, if you will. We hear in these four weeks of Advent, these four Sundays before Christmas, we hear a lot of uh, expectation of a Messiah in preparation for Jesus' birth on, on Christmas. And in the midst of that, these two Sundays that are in the middle, the second and third Sunday of Advent, we get the story of John the Baptist. And today we hear of John the Baptist, but we have to wait until next Sunday to hear from John the Baptist. Waiting within waiting. And we are also in this time of Advent. This isn't just four weeks that lead into Christmas and the expectation and remembrance of Jesus' birth. This time of Advent is also a reminder that we are always waiting and always in preparation for Jesus' return, for Christ to come back to us, for his ultimate return to us, waiting within waiting within waiting. 
And it's not a passive waiting. This is not idly sitting around and philosophizing while we wait for some Godot Christ to appear. We're actively waiting. Actively going about the preparation of this expectation of Jesus' return and of being about the vocation that Jesus has set for us so that when when Jesus comes back, we're, uh, we're not found to be on some decades-long coffee break from what we were supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus. And we don't have any direct quotes from John the Baptist in today's reading, but we do hear a bit of what his message is. He gave this message of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This is a very important message. Very important message. It's a message that says there is no longer any need for sacrifices to be made. We don't need to go to the temple and offer up turtle doves or oxen or whatever else sacrificially to, uh, to earn God's forgiveness. There's no longer acts of penance required for forgiveness. And this message is also very important, not just for that, but because of what the message itself is. It is a message of forgiveness. That's new. It's not a message of God's anger or wrath or need for expiation. It's not a message of what God wants from us, but this is very much a message of what God is doing for us, to us with us. And what God is doing is forgiving. Forgiving. That's a pretty radical message. And change. And notice also the the detail of place and time that the writer of Luke gives to set this up. To set us up for, uh, for John to appear it's almost like, like zooming in on Google Maps, the this litany that he goes through. We begin with the 15th year of Emperor Tiberius. That's the Roman Empire. We're looking out at the, the whole Roman Empire first. All right, whatever it is, is going to happen within the Roman Empire. Big, big area. When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, we've zoomed in now on a far northeast corner of the Roman Empire, or eastern end of the Roman Empire, to Judea. Okay. And then we zoom in a bit more when Herod ruled Galilee. That's shrunk now to a smaller part of Israel, but it's still a Roman ruler, although Herod was Semitic of that area. He would not have been... Roman racially, but part of the Roman Empire. So we start empire, smaller, smaller, but all Roman. And during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, now we get the local religious leaders. It's happening in the Roman Empire, but it's going to happen to these Jewish people that live in that area that Romans occupying. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. Now we've zoomed in on one specific 
person. John, son of Zechariah. And then these words. As the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Not in any of this area that we've talked about. John is not localized. He's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness around Jordan. We know, we know that. But he says that he's in the wilderness. He's disengaged from the dominant culture. The word of God does not come to Rome or to the Roman leaders or to any part of the empire. The word of God does not come to the temple leaders or to anyone in the temple or to anyone even in Jerusalem. The word of God came to the wilderness, came to John, John whose father worked in the temple, but John himself did not. It comes, this word of God comes in the wilderness away from all the noise of empire and ecclesials away from empire that said peace through war and the ecclesials that said peace through appeasement. The word of God came to the wilderness and the word that came was forgiveness. Forgiveness. Sometimes it's good to be in the wilderness because in the wilderness it's quiet. You can hear God in the wilderness. And I've said before, I've said a number of times that the problem isn't that God has stopped speaking to us. The problem is that God has gotten tired of shouting over all the noise. And so now God whispers and it's up to us to make space for us to hear the whispering. To make a space in which whispers can be heard. And some did hear of John and they went out to to where he was and they heard his message. And Jesus was one of those who went out to hear John, to hear his message, to hear about forgiveness. This word that empire will never use because it's not convenient for them. uh, And and a word that the religious leaders were not using because uh, there was more adherence to doctrine than to the needs of people. Forgiveness. And I'm going to pick on a friend of mine, evangelical leader in Australia. He's a pretty progressive thinker, but in this last week we've had some dialogue. He came up with a quote a week or so ago that he posted on Facebook that, that said, to be human is to make mistakes. That's true. I totally live with that and accept that. To be human is to make mistakes. Semicolon. To be Christian is to be forgiven. Which is also true. I have, have no, uh, no qualms with that. But I, I challenged him back and I said, that I, that's true. But I don't think it's enough. I don't think it says enough. It kind of makes Christianity almost the sort of insurance policy. Like, I want to be forgiven. How do I do that? Well, I'll become a Christian. You know, I think to be human, to be part of God's creation, is to be forgiven, no matter what that religion is. So we can say to be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to be forgiven. Or to be God's creation is to be forgiven. And I also 
challenged him because you know he said to be Christian is to be forgiven. Absolutely true. We are all uh, forgiven, but that's also this very internally directed kind of faith. And I said it's not so much about our forgiveness. To be Christian is to forgive. We are called to forgive, to bring God's forgiveness, to let other people know of their forgiven nature by letting them know of God's forgiveness and also by our forgiving those who have wronged us, to offer that forgiveness to others. And we could say that that forgiveness, another word for forgiveness, could be peace. Being forgiven can bring peace to let go of the guilt, to let go of the shame, to have someone say, don't worry about it anymore. Let it go. Or to forgive someone can be to give them that gift and also to give yourself the gift of letting go of whatever bad feelings you have toward that person, of letting them continue to control your life in some way by refusing to let go of the pain. Forgiveness is this great gift of peace. And this is the Sunday of peace. We lit the Advent candle of peace today. And I I saw an image a while ago of what peace looks like. And it was two images. Uh, And I thought this was a very interesting juxtaposition. The one was an image of a bird, a dove, which is often a symbol of peace. And the dove was on a, a lake, and the lake was very calm. And the sun was out. It was a nice, beautiful blue sky. Uh, The trees all had their leaves, so it was beautiful and green, and the flowers are in bloom. And it certainly was an image of of peacefulness. There was nothing going on in that image that was not peaceful. Uh, And this may very well be a good image of of what the, the ultimate realm of God is going to look like, that we're at peace, people around us are at peace, the world around us is at peace, but not... Uh, a perfect representation of our world. And the second image that was given was that same bird, that same dove. And the image of peace that it offered was this dove flying in a storm. In the midst of the rain and the wind, this dove was still flying. That was the image of peace. But it's not that everything around us has to be at peace. But about us being at peace, our ability to fly through the storm and to do so in confidence because God is with us. Jesus is with us. That's the peace of Christ. This inner confidence of God's grace that allows us to fly in the midst of the storms of life. And since we're not birds, maybe flight imagery isn't uh, isn't the best imagery, but we could we could say the peace is that uh, that allows us to keep getting out of bed in the morning and making breakfast and getting dressed and going out and doing whatever it is that we do to go out and engage the world every day. There's some level of peace that allows that, or the the peace that allows us to keep handing out coats or making quilts, even though the need for those seems never to be sated. Or the peace that allows us to keep giving to St. Francis' food pantry, even though the need never seems to be sated. 
and the peace that allows us to keep having children and teach them the faith even when the world seems scary and broken uh, that everything's falling apart around us. The peace that allows us to keep looking forward in hope. That's the peace that we're talking about. The peace of Jesus. And that is something that we don't have to wait for. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our peace, our friend, our forgiver, our guide through the storms of life. And help us to know this, not just in our heads as words to say, but to know this in our hearts as words to trust. And help us to turn down the noise of our lives to hear your whispered word of peace. Amen.